Hello, I'm Patricia, host of the Haiku P podcast. I'd like to welcome you to this, the 20th episode of the fourth series. I'm constantly amazed that in four years I've gone from chatting to myself about haiku, and now you have joined me, and we're building a wonderful, kind, and caring community of poets. Thank you. So, what do I have for you today? Well, I have some haiku and senryu that I've really enjoyed reading in other journals this year. And then, the main event, your original haiku and senryu. This year we've been concentrating on techniques, and I thought it would be interesting to have an open call this month and see if I can spot the techniques we've been working on within the submissions. I'll make a few comments as we go along, but I wonder... Do you think the work we've been doing together this year has made a difference to the quality of your haiku? I think I can see it. I'd be interested to know what you think. Today I'm joined by three community judges, Ronald K. Craig, Lorraine Padden and Diane Garcia. My sincere thanks to them for reading through the 200 or so submissions that were chosen for the journal and not just for picking out their favourites, but also writing a commentary, which you can read in the next journal. Speaking of which, if you've bought the summer journal, do you think you could go and write a review, and let me and others know what you think of it? I'd be eternally grateful. So let's kick the podcast off with some haiku and senryu I've enjoyed this year. From Failed Haiku Issue 68 Lost in the mountains, I follow the path of a rolling stone. Vladislav Ristov Suddenly stuck in the moment, snow. Ben Gar, from Blythe Spirit, Volume 31, Number 2 Early Light A rising wind catches every note of silence. Sandra Simpson, Presence, Issue 70. We're going to start this week's original haiku and senryu with one of our judges' choices. Let me introduce Ronald K. Craig to you. Hi, Ronald. Hi, Patricia. He's an active member of our poetry community, This year, he's been one of our regular guest editors. And in 2022, I'm very happy to say he's going to be joining Robert Orobin, James Young and I as a regular in our editing team. This month, however, as I didn't have him editing, I persuaded him to take on the role of one of our judges. Thanks for doing that, Ron. You're quite welcome. Thank you. Let's hear who you've chosen. Alison Douglas corner wrote the following inside the empty cup a brigantine in full sail inside the empty cup a brigantine in full sail really like this poem as it uses the impossible to highlight the possible ships sailing in teacups What is happening in the mind of the poet? With selective realism, Allison plunges us into the cup, an empty cup, 
the reader is removed from the particular time and place. We are inside with her, transported to what is transpiring in her mind, consciously or unconsciously, wondering what will happen next. With cup in hand, she looks into its emptiness. Does this mirror her current circumstances, devoid of excitement, intensity, adventure? Drifting languidly in calm waters, in nothingness? Yet something stirs within, a brigantine appears. Parenthetically, these ships were faster than many and were designed for espionage or piracy, a quick in and a quick out. Now she has a mission and she's navigating the open seas in full sail. Thankfully, we are not told of her destination, but are invited into her daydream to chart our own course. From my reading of Richard Gilbert, author of The Disjunctive Dragonfly, this poem may be categorized as the impossibly true, number 10 in his Disjunctive Technology, page 81. Reality comes from objective sensation and the way in which the data is synthesized in our mind. In other words, inner experiences validate our outer experiences. Dreams can be sensed as vivid reality, he says. By seeing the impossible in the possible, Allison's poem penetrates to the deeper layers of identity and self and provides a truer representation of reality. In a similar context on page 83, Gilbert states, one of the dynamic properties of haiku is the ability to rapidly, shockingly erupt habitual thought. We can all practice looking for the impossible to breathe new wind in our sails, allowing a different perspective on reality to materialize and fresh haiku to emerge. In Allison's poem, I thoroughly enjoyed my habitual thought being taken to new worlds in full sail. Ron, I'm so glad you brought Richard Gilbert's work into your commentary. Next year, I think we'll be exploring many of the themes and techniques he discusses in this book and make them come alive as Alison has with our poems. Thanks so much for your commentary. And congratulations to Alison because this is the second time this year she's been nominated. Now on with the poetry. Remember, poem first, poet second. The lemon tree blooming at last with bees. Giddy Nielsen Sweep. Such silence. From my window I speak to the pear tree. Near a cash up. Alone, preparing for the long walk to nowhere. 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 Rest. Richard Lawson. Wet footprints on boulders, evidence of existence fading with the breeze. J. Scott Shields. Coloured leaves, warm blanket of earth, cold wind. Ava Drobner.
spring equinox, a new psychologist blossoms in my old office. Bruce H. Feingold Of course, we've looked at seasonal words a few times this year, and I'm going to talk about it again on the next podcast because I think it's a very important part of haiku. With a skillful use of the season, you can add so much to your poem. In his poem, Bruce uses the spring equinox, and at least for me, this gives a heightened sense of hope and renewal, which he confirms in the fragment element of his poem. Our next poet also uses Kigo to good effect. Winter evening, wrapping myself in Sinatra's voice. Angela Terry Watching a huddle of fishing boats bob. Harbour seals. Karen Harvey Deserted beach. Footprints following the ships. Sue Young Summer retreat. The sound of water sculpting rock. Srinivas S. Sculling through the skin of the sky. Water boatman. Christopher Jupp. At the window, wrong end of a cat. Roberta Beach Jacobson. The wind around my ankle. Next door's cat. Marilyn Ward. Warm coffee. Morning sun lights up sweet clover fields. Sarah M. Caveo. In Sarah's poem, I saw the technique we were looking at when we spoke about no ego. Sarah is clearly here in the poem, but she's not interfering with it. She's not stamping her presence on the scene in the poem. And I find myself standing at the kitchen window, a cup of tea in my case, warming my hands, and looking out over the gardens, in fact into my neighbour's garden, whose lawn is rather full of clover. Sarah, thank you for letting me into your poem, and for letting me enjoy it in my own little way. Utter silence, slow motion sailing, lost in thought. Richard Bailey Swallows skim the water ripples of summer wind. Sarah Paris Spring rain. Puddles form in my mind. Valentina Rinaldi Adams. Holding on to the last dandelion. Dragonfly. Alaka. Yerava Dikar. Every bend, however long it runs. The River Path, Brett Brady. Sunday morning, a trail of clouds rushes over busy paddy fields. 
Devashruti Mandal Rain leaking through the roof I set my metronome Melanie Vance Fleeting touch the sudden bloom of goosebumps Ravi Kiran Letting go the raucous descent of a waterfall. Carol Judkins. The melody of a blackbird singing. Nimbostratus. Griggs. Shady table. The company of camellias. Craig Lincoln. Meeting him for fish and chips. Waterloo Sunset. Mariangela Kanzi. Between the sun and my thoughts. Pelicans. Diana Seleucia. Pouring down through the rainforest. Komoribi. Pam Joy. Now, Pam, thank you very much for introducing me to that new word, komoribi. I'm not sure whether I pronounced it correctly. I'm sure someone will tell me if I haven't. It's a Japanese word, which as far as I can tell is the word for sunlight pouring through the trees. How wonderful it is to have a word that expresses all of that. It made me think of a discussion I've been having recently, and I'd love your thoughts I welcome new words into my vocabulary, and I'd prefer, in terms of editing the journal, not to put a footnote about words like Kamoribi. I think, if you're interested, you'll go and find out what the word means. You don't need me to spoon-feed you the information. And I was discussing this issue with another editor the other day, and she disagreed with me. She felt that footnotes could make all the difference to how much we, as readers, enjoy the poem. So what do you think? Do we need footnotes to improve our pleasure? Or are we quite capable of going and searching out the information we need? Email me. Tell me. What do you think? So hot. Taking out the watermelon early. Richard Tice. Late summer heat, grandma's fermented pickles on the windowsill. Hifsa Ashraf. Summer noon, the sunlit veins in grandma's hand. Mona Betty. Sun bleached, she insists it's just a freckle. Tracy Davidson. First drops of rain after a dry spell. Acceptance letters. Jackie Chow. Jackie, this one really made me chuckle. I think we've all been there, haven't we? And talking of submissions, let me just remind you that I'm accepting submissions for High Bun this month. And I have to say the response to the High Bun call 
has not been overwhelming. But I have faith in you. I'm sure my inbox will be full of highborn by the end of October. Yes, your deadline is the 31st of October, 2021. Don't neglect your long haiku submissions, though. If you're listening to this before the 20th of October, you still have time to get your long haiku submitted by email. Don't dilly-dally. Now I'm busy thinking of topics for next year, and I hope by the end of November they'll be up on the website, so you can start planning your submissions. The best way to find out what they'll be is to sign up for our mailing. So do please go to the website and fill in the mail sign-up forms. I really don't send that many emails. And you might miss some new developments if you're not signed up. Recently, I sent a mailing to find out which social media channels you're using. I was quite surprised to find out how popular YouTube is. Most of you will know that we have a Poetry P channel already, and there are lots and lots of resources there for haiku poets. If you're not a subscriber already, do go along and subscribe. You don't want to miss out on all the bits and bobs on there. Perhaps you'd also like to join in, send me a video for the haiku moment, or the monthly haiku prompt, or even write some poetry for the prompt. I'll be choosing some of my favourites to feature on a podcast soon. I have to say a big thank you to my editing team, who worked on the submissions for this podcast and the journal. James Young, Robert Horobin, and this month we were joined by Craig Kittner. You worked really hard reading all the submissions. I think there were more than 800 of them this month. Thank you. And remember, if you'd like to help me by editing the submissions or being a community judge, do please get in touch via email. And now a big thank you to everyone who bought me a coffee in September. Robert Kingston, Mary Jo Balistreri, Melanie Vance, Jason Furtak, Carol Judkins, Jilly Pawson, Michael Winter, Anna Yin, Sarah Paris, Ronald Craig, Linda Ludwig, Rhonda Bocock, Eve Castle, and M. Shane Pruitt. As you know, I'm saving for a new microphone, and as I record this podcast, I'm 75% of the way to being able to purchase it. Your help is much appreciated to keep this show on the road. But now back to what we love best our poetry. Paid in Watermelon, the letter I wrote for a farmhand, Pat Davis. Honey on bread, still tasting so sweet this year's summer. Samo Kreutz. Nestled in the core of an ancient giant, Hartwood. J.L. Hoffman Field furrows, crows scratching the sky Daniela Miso Right of way, the stag and I both stare Dorothy Burrows Misty morning, 
perfume wafts you in my dream. Ram Chandran Green figs waiting for the first leaf to turn yellow. Anna Maria Domberg, San Cristoforo Kintsugi, the fleeting form of a cloud. Angiola Inglese Heavy rain, ripe plums coat the stone Buddha. James Young Rain, snow and sleet, thread through curling fingers. Bare blackberry brambles. Ethan Maguire Melting snow, the bridal dress slithers to her feet. Paul Callas White snow, too shy to tinkle near other boys. Kurt Paulish Snowing, the scarecrow gets friends. Daniel Birnbaum Ivy roots, the chameleon scales of an old oak tree. Wendy Ghent Warm shortcake with a side of ice cream. Strawberry Moon Christine Wenk Harrison Silent Leaf Fall The Moon Dissolves in the Pond Cherry A Cherry, I can see Yugen in this poem. It may not strike everyone, I guess, but to me the silence of the leaf falling suggests the beauty of other realms. And the wonder of the moon dissolving in the pond makes something quite beautiful out of the everyday, doesn't it? I think both these elements are part and parcel of the Yugen technique. Buck moon, the branching silence of maple seedlings. Joshua Sinclair Day moon, the sparrow hangs on the flyball net. David Oates Moonlight Sonata, a motionless silhouette in the barred window. Natalia Kuznetsova Veiled moon, beneath the city fades so far away. Flaminius Soldier Beetle I neglect my duties Tim Gardner Long after the sound of jet skis The sound of waves Christine Perhaps we'll revisit Synesthesia next year We've certainly done it a couple of times in the past. And if you're not sure what that is, it's a technique by which you switch senses in a poem. In this one, I can see the waves, I can see the jet skis, and I can hear the noise of both of them. 
but I can also feel the rhythm of the waves. Can't you? Clear morning sky. The warbler rests on the lightning rod. Nicole Tilde. Six crows at the bus stop. Southbound. Linda L. Ludwig. Laughing Kookaburra. Remembering the East River's nightlights. Martin Gottlieb Cohen. Noon stillness. A crow scratches the wooden bench. Nina Singh. Azalea petals littering the front path without visitors. B.A. France. This restless mind, shifting flocks of wax wings in the mountain ash. Kristen Lindquist. A jazz band on the upper floors. Wind rattles the roof. Christina Chin. New Orleans. The jazz of raindrops on a flooded street. Bill Fay. Bill, I had to comment on this one. Not just because it's a place name poem, but because of the euphony within it. The jazz of raindrops. It reminded me of that musical piece in the Disney film Bambi, Little April Showers. I'll put the link in the show notes if you don't know it. The upbeat notion of the jazz of raindrops connects, for me, to New Orleans, a town I associate with that form of music. And the first two lines seem quite innocuous, and then Bill hits us with On a Flooded Street. And for me, the mood of the poem changes to a much more sinister one. You really can do such a lot with a few words. Tempest on the potent wind, herring gulls drift. Stephen Stokes. Traffic light pausing my walk. The red dragonfly. Laughing waters. Guitar circle. The mosquitoes hum. A different tune. M. Shane Pruitt. Sunflower taller than I am. Closer to heaven. Ronald K. Craig. Next up, we have another one of our very active community members to give us her nomination for the judge's choice, Lorraine Patton. Welcome, Lorraine. Thank you, Patricia. Happy to be here. Now, Lorraine and I have been trying to find a time for her to join the panel, and at last we've made it. And I believe, Lorraine, you are also in the process of writing a Renku with a group of poets from our community, led by yes. Nick Hoffman. How's it going? Oh, it's wonderful. The diversity of work is just so exciting. I know. That's what I, I love about writing the Renku with the group. It leads you in so many different places and so many surprises along the way. And hopefully you're finding it inspirational for your own writing, too. Oh, absolutely. Excellent. So tell us, which of the poems did you choose and why? 
Uh, there were so many fine poems uh, to consider, and I landed on the following uh, Senryu by Vandana Parishar, and I apologize if I just mispronounced their name. The poem is Train Journey, my favorite book in a stranger's hand. Train Journey, my favorite book in a stranger's hand. There are so many things to admire about this poem, which at only nine words, uh, for me evoked a volumes of meaning that just become richer each time I take in those three lines. While the words train and journey might not be Kigo words per se, they certainly bring to mind the word travel, which is an official Kigo and one that was perhaps most famously used by Matsuo Basho in the haiku he wrote during his extensive travels around Japan in the 17th century. So this idea of movement has deep roots in the genre and it also resonates today. While Basho journeyed on foot, this poem finds us on a train. And both modes of transport suggest the idea of a ginkgo or a passage into and through the natural world that invites a poet to spontaneously capture a single moment in time. There's no doubt in my mind that many transcendent haiku arise from this immersive practice. So here, our moment captured is uniquely human. So for me, this poem leans beautifully into the realm of Senryu. We witness the instant of recognition when the narrator notices their favorite book something profoundly familiar, resting in the hands of a stranger. The juxtaposition of the intimately known with the completely unknown is particularly compelling, as is the metaphorical notion that a book is in itself a journey already taken by the narrator, who now witnesses that path unfolding for another reader. Consider as well two past and present literary voyages that are juxtaposed and located within a train that is of course also traveling on its own journey towards some other destination. Finally, I'm really curious about what happens after this poem ends, since I wonder if the narrator in that moment of recognition thinks, I wonder if that person is experiencing that book the way I did. However that unfolds and wherever it arrives next, in the mind of the reader, this Senryu offers a mysterious journey in itself. And I loved it. <laughs> Thanks, Lorraine. <laughs> Thank um, you so much. Oh, I don't, I don't travel on the train as much as I used to when I commuted into Zurich. And of course, we've got COVID, so you know, we're discouraged from doing that here. But I do remember the one occasion when something similar happened to me, and I did wonder, if that person, a gentleman in this case, was enjoying his book as much as I had. I don't remember what the book was because, you know, I read so many. I change my favourite almost on a daily basis. But my one regret is that I didn't ask him about the book. There you go. Anyway, I'm also very happy that you mentioned Senryu because I've been having some interesting discussions about Senryu this year. And next year, perhaps, I'll be able to put all the strings together and bring the conversation to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks, Lorraine. And congrats to Vandana, because this is also her second nomination this year. From the mystery of Vandana's book to the mystery of the night. 
Black night, the gold in the maple disappears. Kathleen Tice Butterflies, a touch of summer in her fingertips. Robert Whitmer Snipping black-eyed Susans, the executioner within. Doris Lynch Caught in the train's whistle, autumn loneliness. Marilyn Ashbell On the sidewalk, no mate in sight, tiny yellow shoe. Be sharp. Crystal clear toes, a white clawed crayfish, slips by. Claire Ninham Claire, I thought this was a good example of a topic we did quite recently, selective realism. In your poem you have two very clear images, the crystal clear toes and the white clawed crayfish. As a reader you can well imagine the poet standing there in the sea looking at her toes and watching this little crayfish slip past. The link between the fragment and the phrase of the poem are close, and so you immediately get the connection. On top of that, add the alliteration of the crystal-clear toes and the white clawed crayfish, and you have a lovely rhythmic visual piece of work. Sticky notes. Things I remind myself to forget. Alvin B. Cruz Aging The cheese I choose Getting milder Marie Morrissey Cummins Water glasses How differently we look at the world Debbie Strange Now I hope you caught Debbie's reading on the last podcast or you've seen it on our YouTube channel. If you haven't, it's profoundly moving. Do go and have a listen. Jam-packed train, your head on another shoulder. Radhamani Sama. Rail cars float, shearing blades of grass. First firefly. Erin Castaldi Steady rain drips, dance pollen off tea leaves, flavour bombs. Wayne Kingston Wayne, there are so many ways that you can read that. I hope people go to the show notes and delve a little deeper into your poem. Kintsugi, not enough gold for the world's cracks. Krista Pandy Sweeping the path, my atoms scattering a little. Tony Williams This poem of Tony's is a very gentle example of one of the first topics we tackled this year, humour. Doesn't the idea of him sweeping and scattering his atoms make you smile? It might be a bit of a stretch, but do you think this is also a little disjunctive? When you read it, does the idea of atoms transfer 
to the idea of ashes and, and get confused in your mind. Disjunction. That's something I'd like to come back to next year. Thanks, Tony. And continuing with the humour theme. Silver anniversary. The length of his scrotum. Aaron Barry. Monday morning. So much I don't know. Dense fog. Nika. Fog lifting. A hummingbird hovers within arm's reach. Richard L. Matter. Arctic mist. A polar bear disappears into drifting pack ice. J. Friedenberg. Cacophony of dogs. 4am man collects the cans. E. L. Blizzard. Department store mirrors. A skinny mannequin follows me. Kelly Sargent. As the crow flies the curves of the river. Mark Gilbert. So many unspoken wishes. Cloudy Percy at night. Eugenius Zakarski. Re-rinsing a dish. Expecting words to return. Jeff M. Pope. Just a toy. Father and son. Killing something. P.H. Fisher. Filling the soap dish. The purple scent of lavender. Deborah P. Kolodji. Now we've seen a few examples of poets using colour in haiku today, and we've got more to come. I think an expedient use of colour enhances our poetry. I'll have a look at that next year as well. Fish scale glints on Cook's knife. The kitten purrs. Sangeeta Kalarikal. Daydreaming. We build another Lego city. Zara Mugis. Cold cloud. Just enough to cool the cotton cake. Maya Daneva. To end today, I'd like to welcome Diane Garcia. Many of you will know her as the secretary of the Haiku Society of America. Diane, Thank you so much for making time for us, because I know it's been a busy year for you. It has been a busy year, and it's been a difficult year for many people. Years, months, days have often, be dif often been difficult, but I've really appreciated the ability to be able to continue to be active with a community of poets over podcasts like this one, YouTube, Zoom, all the different devices have been really wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it's been lovely. I think particularly for, for people like me who are sort of a, a little island in the wilderness to be able to use all the facilities that Zoom has, has given us this year to, to communicate with people. It's been great. Diane is doing something a little different because she is nominating two poems. 
<laughs> Thank you for letting me choose too. No worries. <laughs> so here they are. The first is hibiscus tea. Grandma's lipstick, a shade lighter by Manal Sarash. Hibiscus tea, grandma's lipstick, a shade lighter. The second poem is spring. Grandma knits another purple sky by Lakshmi Iyer. Spring, grandma knits another purple sky. I chose these two because their topics pull at the strings of memory. I chose them because they show the affection two poets have for the elders. And this tells me something about the poet as well as about grandma. It also tells me about the small ways that we care for each other. And these ways can bind us all safe if we let it, even at a time when it sometimes seems that all is falling apart. There's some technical parts to these two haiku that I appreciate. The soft sounds that pull us through the haiku and which signal how softly these images shimmer. The choice of the slower soft ah sound of grandma rather than the formal use of the word grandmother, who would signal someone much more formidable to me. And of course, the word grandmother is one more syllable, so grandma is useful to the poet as well. I like the precision of the poet's description of grandma's choice of activity. A cup of hibiscus tea, knitting something which is purple. And in each case, the activity is somehow for another. Because the poet sees grandma's lipstick, we know that cup of tea is being shared with the grandchild. We know that it is a healthy cup of antioxidant rich tea. And we can imagine the grandchild's eye caught by the deep red of the liquid in the cup dare we say, the cup of present and future, or a cup of adventure, as our first poet selected this time suggested. We can imagine the scent carried forward in the child's memory into some future time. And we know the era in which grandma lived because that lipstick is just a shade lighter and perhaps even a bit remains on a porcelain cup found in a cupboard years later. As to the second poem, because the poet has chosen to break the lines into short segments, we know this is a discrete short task that grandma has undertaken. A bit of mystery is presented because it's another purple, we know that item of clothing is likely for another, how many purple somethings would grandma herself need? And we imagine she's skilled at her task, perhaps knows the pattern by rote, so it needn't be explained, and can imagine the feel of an intensely colored yarn. 
Those of us who are familiar with knitting may respond to the internal sounds of this poem in a different way than those of us who are not familiar, but each of us hears the pup found in the word purple of the needles slipping past each other to make yet another stitch. And we can imagine a lifetime of purple skies which found their way into grandma's craft. Thanks, Diane. Thank you very much. Often when I hear the judges' commentaries, it opens up new avenues for me in the poem. In the first of these poems, I saw grandma drinking the tea and leaving the stain of her lipstick on the cup and her lipstick becoming lighter. And now I have another story, thanks to you, Diane. Now I'm thinking about the, the grown child who has a cup that grandma used to drink out of, possibly still stained by grandma's lipstick. It's wonderful how you can have these stories about the haiku. And I'm also a knitter, but the sound of the needles in Lakshmi's poem had completely passed me by, but it's there now and adds another dimension to that poem. It's just one of the joys of being in a community of poets is we can hear so many different interpretations of what starts out seeming very simple. It's so true. And that's why I really value these judging panels that we have, because they, they do bring something new to the table. Congrats to Minal and Lakshmi for the nominations. And now the four of us are going to debate which of these terrific poems will be the judge's choice and which the honourable mentions. And you can find out in the Autumn Journal out in December. Once again, thanks to my editors, James, Robert and Craig. To Diane, Lorraine and Ronald for being my community judges today. Do please volunteer for this role. It's such a vital service to the community. A massive round of applause to all of you who had poems chosen for the podcast today. And to those of you who didn't, do please submit again. Last but not least, thank you for coming along and listening. It's so nice to know that you're out there and we're doing this haiku journey together. Until next time, Keep writing. Now, if I've messed up, which is quite possible because I'm only human, don't tell my kids, do please email me and I'll sort it out. Ciao.